0: Thank <laughs> you. Hi friends, this is Laura Corumbus from the Theology Matters Podcast, and I'm just jumping in to tell you that we have a surprise bonus episode coming out. It's a surprise even for us. (laughs) We realized that we missed one of our episodes that we recorded, Christology Part 2, and we didn't want you to miss out on it. So you'll find now that you can listen to Bethany and Wendy and Marty and I completing our conversation on Christology. And in addition to that, we are going to re-release the episode on pneumatology so that in your podcast player, everything will be nicely in order in the order with which we discussed it and taught it. And while I have you here, I'll also just mention that we have a new season coming out in August, season three of the Theology Matters podcast. We have our final ologies that we'll talk about as well as a special guest. So make sure that you subscribe so that you get the newest seasons. Thanks. Truth. How do we discover it? How do we understand it? And how do we apply it? These foundational questions of life can be answered in the pages of God's Word, the Bible. Through the systematic study of Scripture, we seek to equip women with a growing understanding of truth, which only comes by knowing the God of all truth. This is the Theology Matters Podcast. Welcome to Season 2 of the Theology Matters Podcast. We're here for Season 2, ladies. (laughs) I'm Laura Corumbus, and I'm here with Bethany Drum and Wendy Blackwell and Marty Crabtree. And we are excited to discuss some new doctrines of our faith. So we are back with what we're calling a mini-season. We're only doing two episodes, and we'll be covering Christology and Pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, Don't we have
1: a bonus episode coming? Oh, we do. Actually,
0: I believe that the bonus episode will already be out by the time they get this one. (laughs) So technically, that was bonus for season one. But if you missed it, now you know to go back and listen because we did a bonus episode about the Trinity. So you don't want to miss that one either. Um, And before we get started, I also I had a faux pas last season because, you know, we've never actually done a podcast before any of us. And so I forgot to thank our producer, Caleb Pipping, who is wonderful. We came to him with this crazy idea to do a podcast and he has made it happen. So we're grateful for Caleb and, you know, he takes out all the crazy stuff we say. So we definitely appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Are you saying that we say crazy stuff? Never. Only you, Marty. (laughs) Only you. We got to take out your crazy stuff sometimes. Um no, but to get going today, we're we're gonna talk about our favorite vacations. Anybody have a favorite vacation
2: they want to share? I do. Oh, you were go. going. Nope, yep, you go. Okay. Um I think that probably in three years ago, which is amazing the passage of time, but we had the privilege of going to the Grand Canyon with our boys and um I thought you were gonna say that one. <laughs> and, yeah, I, there's just not words. That was absolutely incredible. I will never forget the first time we walked up to the rim and looked over and just saw the canyon. Um, it was pretty incredible, and to get to do it with our boys, we did. We're some of those that went all the way to the basin, spent the night, and hiked back out. And so, it was just a memory for all four of us to get to do that together was was a special treat.
3: So, yeah, that was mine. That's cool. Ours was, I think, about seven years ago, and. Uh, my oldest son, Tim, and his wife were living in Scotland, in Edinburgh, Scotland at the time. And and so we went over to visit them. It was my husband and me and our son, Dan. And so it was the four of us, you know, with our two grown sons. And it was really the last time that just the four of us did something together. So it was really neat. Uh, So we visited in Edinburgh for a while, which is my favorite city anywhere. And From there, we went up to St. Andrews, and those of you who know me know that I love to play golf, and so going to St. Andrews, which is the home of golf, was an exciting event. And it happened to be my birthday, and it happened that the Open was going on at that time, and so on my birthday, we went to a practice round at St. Andrews and got to see some of the players who had won the Open in years past, Tom Watson, Sir Nick feldon you know, names that probably mean nothing to anyone but me, but it was just neat. And the other thing was that I had had knee surgery uh, several months before, and I'd, my goal was to be able to walk the course of St. Andrews, which I was able to do. And so just all around, it was sweet. I love that, and you brought your scarf. And I brought my scarf from from the old <laughs> course at St. Andrews. Bethany, what about you? Um, I think it was about
1: eight years ago. Anyways, Dave and I went to New Zealand um, for t- two weeks, and um, first of all, New Zealand, especially the South Island. It is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it is hard to put into beauty, I mean, into words, the beauty there. Um, like Milford Sound, unbelievable. And for people that are super active like Dave and I, it's like paradise. Like we hiked to Toconderoga Tass. We Kayak in the Mil- Milford Sound. I mean, we just there's just tons of outdoor activities to do there. Um, but also, New Zealand is the home of all things Tolkien, and you know Somehow Peter I Jackson. Was cat all. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it always all comes back to Lord <laughs> of the Rings or Star Wars with me. So um, and they fully embrace that. So we did go to Hobbiton you know i did you know stand at the green door we did hike by where they filmed for mount doom um and all the things so that was that was super cool and super fun too so, yeah. so that I, was definitely
0: don't know half of what you just talked about but that's okay <laughs> that's okay <laughs>
1: um
0: yeah mine well i was thinking we just took our kids to Disney World for the first time, so that that's always, like, really magical, and it was great, but my favorite vacation was my honeymoon. We went to Maui, and so mm. neither of us had ever been to Hawaii before, and, you know, it's just busy leading up to your wedding, and actually... He, Greg proposed to me on the day that I took my comprehensive exams for my master's degree, so it was like I've been working on my master's, then I was planning this wedding, and then we finally just got away to Maui, and we are exactly the opposite of the drums. We, we're not adventurous. We're like, we just want to get there and just
1: chill. And see some things, but just like hang out at the beach. So it was great. It was perfect. Yeah. My daughter, Dara, often says, you know, other people vacation, you guys adventure. Yes, that's so true. Which is fine. But, you know, everybody just everybody's different. How long have you
0: been married? 13 years this summer. Yeah. So we've had we have had some good vacations as well. But that just definitely no offense to my kids, but it's kind of nice to go. Just the two of us. Anyway, well, we are talking about Christology today, as we said, and uh, just a reminder that we actually did some Christology in Season 1 of the podcast. So Season 1, Episode 6 was our first kind of half of Christology. So we talked about what is Christology, the preexistence and prophecies of Christ, um, and the deity and the humanity of Christ a little bit. But today, so if you missed that, What I'm saying is, we're not going over that again, (laughs) because we did that in a podcast episode.
1: But you can go back.
0: Yes, but you can go back and listen. So if you missed that one, you might want to check that one out before you listen today. Um, But today, we're going to look more at the humanity of Christ, and specifically, the incarnation and the works of Christ. So we're going to start with Wendy and... Wendy, in our Church History episode, we spoke about how the early church had many heresies concerning the person of Christ. So can you talk to us about those heresies and how they were resolved?
2: I would love to. Um, First, I will just say one of the, being a visual person, I love things that kind of sum up all the parts in one place. And I found when I Googled the Chalcedonian Definition that I came up with this thing called a Calcedonian box. I didn't come up with it; it was Google. Um, but it is a great demonstr. Uh, what's a good word? Illustration. There you go. Okay, everybody has a word. <laughs> it is a great way to look at the doctrine of Christology and what the heresies were against it and how the councils addressed those. So, if we talk about Christology and boil it down to four things: fully God, fully man, one person. Two natures. So there were essentially four councils that addressed each of those, and um, the first council of Nicaea in 325 was really convened to condemn Arianism, and Arianism was a heresy that taught that Jesus was a creature created by God, and thus he was not fully God. Um, that undoes the gospel, um, simply stated. Only God has the power to save, so if you take away the deity from who Christ is, then you make him incapable of being our Savior. And so um, this council condemned that and and put forth the truth that God alone can save us, and yes, Christ was fully God. Um, then there was a second council in Constantinople in 381, and it went after the heresy of Apollinarianism. You can just try try and say that several times. Um, It did reaffirm all that came out of the Council of Nicaea, but then it went after this heresy of Apollinarianism that said Jesus had a human body, but he did not have a human mind or a human soul. And so what they said was, if Jesus was not fully human because he didn't contain all the parts of humanity, then again, you've just undone the gospel. Um, And and they came up this phrase was, what is not assumed is not healed. So if he did not assume, take on a human mind and a human soul, then those parts of us were not redeemed. And so it was necessary that he assume all parts of humanity, including the human mind and the human soul, to be able to fully redeem humanity. And so this council addressed the fully man and said, yes, Christ was fully man, took on all parts of humanity so that he could redeem humanity. And so that was the second council and the second heresy addressed. Then to keep rolling, in the box, on the left side of the box, if you have Googled it and pulled one up, it addresses the one person part of Christology. And there was a third council convened at Ephesus in 431, and they went after the heresy called Nestorianism. And Nestorianism said, if Jesus had two natures, then he must be two persons. You could not have two distinct natures contained within one person. And so they um, wanted to say, yes, he had two natures, but he was also two persons. And And by two natures, do you mean like his human nature and... And his his divine nature, yep. and his deity. Yes, okay. absolutely. So those are the two natures, and they were contained within the one person of Jesus Christ. Um, Nestorianism, Nestorians did not believe that Cyril of Alexandria was the one that headed up this council at Ephesus, and he confirmed that Jesus was one person, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Son of God, all the phrases, and and it dealt with this mysterious union we call the hypostatic union that you can have fully God, fully man, a human nature and a divine nature joined in one person. And so um, the truth is that Jesus is one person. So, so far we've addressed in the first three councils that Jesus is fully divine, Jesus is fully human, and Jesus is one person. And so then to keep rolling, this is a lot of words, sorry (laughs) y'all. In the fourth council that was convened in Chalcedon in 451, They condemned Eutychianism. Now, if you can say all these heresies, then you're doing great. But Eutychianism is what they went after, and this is addressing the two natures part of Christology. And they were okay with the two natures, except that they kind of smashed them together into this third nature, if you will. It wasn't fully God, fully man. He was some kind of mishmash of them. Um, And so they were okay with fully God, fully man, but they wanted to create this third type of mixed nature is how they dealt with it in Eutychianism. And the fourth council convened and said, no, the one person of Christ has two distinct natures without confusion, without change, without division, or without separation, and they made that clear. So by 451, those main challenges to the doctrine of Christology had been addressed in four councils, and the truth, biblical truth, what scripture says of who Christ is, fully God, fully man, one person, two natures, were all confirmed. So there's kind of
3: a quick wrap on church history. How'd I do, Marty? You know, you did great. <laughs> the The thing that that comes to my mind is, is the the um, intent of the the men in these councils that they sought the truth of God's word and just thought so deeply about these issues related to Christ. I mean, they had the scriptures, but they, they dug into them and discussed them in such a way that we could have a fuller understanding of what the scriptures say. And um, I'm in awe of, of the hundreds of church leaders in those days who just applied themselves to know more about the Lord. It's, it challenges me. And I think this is something Marty has
2: taught me in this whole study is the importance of church history and and what these men did convene and, and go up against to confirm the truth of Scripture. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no and I, I
0: think we, you know, we did uh, an episode on church history because Marty recommended it, and it, you know, we all learned so much, and so we talked about the Council of Chalcedon and some of those heresies, and you know, we always pointed back, as you said, that the men who were in these councils were studying the Scripture, so they're not coming out. You know, just coming up with these ideas on their own. Actually, that's what the heresies were, right? They were kind of coming up with these. Well, the heresies are
1: almost always right. Something new. Yes. Yeah. Like not his, not historical. Like and not from the scriptures. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And I think right, R.C. Sproul is the one that
0: said. Essentially, that the the things we're debating today are the things that they already debated and settled in the early church. So, but they're all based in scripture.
1: I mean, I think that's the bottom line when we talk about the councils that we want to remember. Wendy, I have a question for you. I was just thinking maybe for some of our listeners, they're sitting here listening to these heresy terms and they're like, and they're like. They get it can get confusing and they're like, so what? You know, what why does that matter? What would you say to that?
2: I think Laura just summed that up (laughs) (laughs) very nicely. I think what we debate today, it may have a different name, look a different form, come under a different teaching, but it is still the same that was debated even in the early first centuries. And so if we go back to that, we really see that these issues were settled. It's not that we have come up with new thinking in this day and age that these were settled, and and they're settled because they stand on the truth of God's Word.
3: So that's what
2: and I, I would
3: say. And I think that the, the heresies generally are about the person of Christ. Right. And there's no other name under heaven by which we we can be saved. Yeah. And so, as you mentioned, as you yeah. were talking, this is these are salvation issues, and so they're important. He, If he's not fully God and fully man, he cannot have died for our sins. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think we right. talked
2: about it in the her- church history. It, they go after Christ because— First John tells us that if you can destroy who Christ was, you've just undermined the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, m- moving on
0: from there, um, m- Wendy, you also talked about the incarnation. And so this is, it's actually December 1st as we are recording this. And so uh, the incarnation is in the forefront of our minds. But anyway, can you tell us
2: what is the incarnation and why is it important? The incarnation is when Christ took on flesh and became man. And like you said, this is December 1st as we are beginning Advent and looking towards Christ's birth, what a beautiful time, to discuss the incarnation. Um, I like what one author said, that Christ came to undo what Adam did and do what Adam could not. He lived in perfect obedience, died for the sins of others, and imputed his righteousness. And the point in there, too, is that even if Adam had lived perfectly, he was not God. He had no power to impute his righteousness to give his righteousness, clothe us in his righteousness that Christ had by living his perfect life. Um, The fact that God took on flesh um, is what the incarnation is about. Okay, so Laura, I think you asked me also why is the incarnation important, and um, I think I'll sum it up in four things, that when sin came and necessitated the incarnation that was planned before the foundation of the earth, this was what God knew he would do, four things happened to us as humans, and for things Christ redeemed. And so first of all, we lost direct access to God. And in the incarnation, Christ became our mediator. He became that channel back to the Heavenly Father. We forfeited our rule and reign, and Christ incarnated, became our king. And, um, And then he will reign as king forever, and so, and then we lost our focus. Our eyes dropped to earth, to heavenly—I mean, to earthly things—and um, we lost our focus on heavenly things. But Christ raised our eyes back up, as He was the one who deserved to be worshipped and the one who we could worship. And then, most importantly, we lost our lives. Um, with sin came death, and Christ became our redeemer. He took the wrath that we deserved so that He could give us the life with Him and His Father with God for all time. And so those are four things, to me, that really make the Incarnation significant.
0: All right. Well...
2: I'm done talking for this
0: one. Thank you. (laughs) No, that's... I mean, yeah, the Incarnation, it's hard to just kind of sum it up on a podcast. So actually, what book would you recommend people
2: read? You have Well, I have this little book that yeah. is by St. Athanasius on the Incarnation, but I also would recommend. Here, I'm giving you Google the Chalcedonian Box, but Google Sinclair Ferguson on the Incarnation. He has a just they've somebody pulled out two minutes of it on why the God-Man, and if you have not been awed by the Incarnation, it'll take two minutes of your time to just bring you to your knees um, in worship. And it is an excerpt from a whole sermon. There is a whole sermon he taught, but it really is, I think, something that's worth watching and just being reminded of.
0: Yeah, that's a great recommendation.
3: Sinclair Ferguson is such a fine theologian, and he's a resource for a lot of different subjects, and he writes uh, on, on a lot of things. But that's one in particular. So yeah, as a resource, if anybody wants to dig into this more, he's a good person to check out.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on uh, to the works of Christ, and Marty, Marty taught on that. And so we want to kick it off and talk about um, Jesus is referred to as the prophet, priest, and king. We see that a lot. So why does he have these titles, and why are they important?
3: Well, first of all, let me say that The works of Christ are the New Testament, and so we're not going to cover the whole New Testament (laughs) in our time here. But um, just to, to the question that you asked, Jesus is identified as prophet, priest, and king by theologians, and he is the only one in Scripture who has all three of those titles. There were prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others. There were priests. And there were kings, King David, King Solomon, and so forth. But he was the only one who held all three offices. Um, In fact, when King Saul tried to uh, offer um, a sacrifice as a priest, uh, he, he incurred the wrath of God because that was not his role. It was set aside for one man, Jesus, to be the prophet, priest, and king. So what is what does it mean that he's a prophet? Well a prophet speaks for God. And over and over again particularly in the gospel of John <clears throat> Jesus talked about how he was sent from the Father and the things that he said were the words of the Father. And so he perfectly represented as as in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1 that he was the Exact Exact image image and representation of of God. And so he represented him as a prophet and he was recognized uh, during his earthly ministry. As a prophet, uh, before uh, people uh, could understand that he was uh, also their savior, so he was a prophet and he's a priest, and that's brought out mostly, I would say, in in the book of Hebrews. It's a text that most clearly refers to Jesus as, as a priest, and in fact, as the high priest of the new covenant. Uh, in Hebrews 10:11 through 17 is that probably the best text uh, that describes that as a, he is the priest who offers himself as the single sacrifice for sins so he is both the the priest and the sacrifice that blows me away yeah. I and mean, yes that
1: I mean, think about that yeah. yeah he was the high priest and he was the perfect sacrifice yes so yes Yeah, and he didn't have
0: to atone for his own sins first because he didn't have any. Mm -hmm. That whole yeah, that Hebrews passage is mind blowing. Yeah, Yeah.
3: Yeah. Hebrews is the book to read if you if you want to get into this uh, more Mm -hmm. thoroughly. Um, And so he was also the king. He is the king, and he reigns forever Um, throughout the Old Testament. The coming of a king is foretold. In 2 Samuel 7, uh, Yahweh tells David that through Nathan there will be a king in his lineage. Uh, Isaiah refers to a king over his people who will also be a redeemer, so he's a redeemer king. You know, and over and over again we see all of these roles, all of these offices that, that Jesus held and that he fulfilled, and he is the only one who could do these things. 1 Timothy calls him the King of Kings. Psalm 24 calls him the King of Glory, um, and the, but the main thing is that Jesus is all three, and no one else has uh, had that mm-hmm. or ever will. Yeah.
0: Well, in your teaching time, you also gave us these five theological terms. I remember you had the slide with the the hand with the fingers, so that we would remember them. So, can you? Tell us, uh, they're relating to the work of Christ on the cross specifically. So, can you take us through those five theological terms?
3: I can. And actually, this is going to be a six finger hand. Oh, okay. If you can, uh, yeah, so, which is kind of weird. <laughs>
0: Was that on your original slide?
3: No. Or did you add one? No, I added I one. I think I would have remembered that. Yeah. The six it's like six finger- the six-fingered it's, it's, man it's, from it The it Princess Bride. that's
0: exactly
3: Yeah. I mean, I just read the old, in something in the Old Testament the other day about some giant that had six fingers on each hand and six toes. But so, but we digress. <laughs> Bring it back, Marty. <laughs> So, uh, the work of, of Christ on the cross, and and so I will um, say that this the first thing I'm going to mention is really the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is tied uh, intricately to the work of Christ, and that's the work of regeneration. Um, Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses, and uh, the the example that I used, maybe not a very pretty one, uh, when I was teaching on this, was if you're dead, you're dead. You can't respond to anything. And if you line up a bunch of corpses uh, and preach the gospel to them there's they're they're not going to start singing just as I am because they are dead and so all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins and we need to be regenerated and Jesus used the term born again in order for us even to respond so the 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 lord takes the initiative in salvation to bring life to regenerate our dead souls so that we can respond to the gospel uh he takes away our heart of stone as uh, jeremiah says and gives us a heart of flesh that draws us to christ all right so that's the sixth finger so we get to the the (laughs) five so atonement jesus atones for our sins and that is that he takes the punishment uh that is due to us um and uh it's in Colossians uh, 2.14, uh, it talks about how it, it, Jesus took uh, the decree against us and nailed it to the cross. So that's uh, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. And God doesn't love us because Christ died for, the, for us. I came across this when I was uh, reading about atonement. God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died I for right. us because, because God, God loves, loves us. us. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the church, you know, we hear things like that, and we tend to just water ski over the top of it. But I am I'm trying to teach myself that when I hear about God loving us, that I stop and think about what an amazing thing that is, that God loves us even though we are undeserving of his love. So that's atonement. And then propitiation is the self-sacrifice of Christ who appeased God's holy wrath. Um, in our church a couple of years ago, we had this wonderful guest preacher, Paul Washer, who talked about the wrath of God and really uh, fleshed it out for us, and I think we were all shaken in our shoes by the Mm -hmm. time he was done. But the wrath of God, again, is something like when we think about the love of God, we need to to think deeply about that. We also need to think deeply about the wrath of God. God is angry at our sins, and it's not just that we've been naughty. It is that we have uh, rebelled against his holy rule, and he is the Lord of all creation, and so um, we do not have that right to rebel. We cannot be rebels against him, but we are. But God, through Christ, we have our propitiation, Christ's propitiation of our sin, and our sin is, to use another uh, term, is expiated. And um, so, But it, think of all of this with these terms, think of it as a process, but it happens all at once on, on the cross of Christ. So there's the propitiation, the sacrifice of Christ who appeased God's wrath, and redemption. Now, the redemption is to purchase the believer's freedom from sin. And the word that's used in the New Testament is, I'm sure I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but it's lutrao, which it's a term which means to to purchase a slave. And we are bought out of the slave market of sin because Romans 6 tells us that we are slaves to sin. But Jesus purchased us. So propitiation focuses on the wrath of God, which was placated at the cross, and redemption of the plight of sinners who were ransomed at the cross. And that's from John Stott. Uh, if, If you're looking for a really Excellent, excellent book about all of these terms and how we are saved uh, from our sins. John Stott has written a book called The Cross of Christ, and it's it's phenomenal. And then, uh, Wendy, you referred to this not by its name, but you were talking about justification earlier. And God is the just judge who legally, in his court, declares that sinner in innocent. It's the outcome of atonement, the imputation of Jesus' righteousness to the sinner. Uh, Stott says uh, justification is the opposite of condemnation. And he says Christ became sin for us. That's in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, 18 through 21, in order that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, our sins were imputed to the sinless Christ in order that we sinners. By being united to Him, might receive as a free gift the standing of righteousness before God. We are righteous in the eyes of God. I I hope I never get over that. Um, that that is what God has given to us is righteousness. We know that we are not righteous, and so we we talked uh, recently about sanctification, and that is the, the process of of moving towards um, holiness. So anyway, and then the fifth uh, thing is reconciliation. It's the outcome really of all these things. It's a restoration of our relationship with God in which we have peace with God. Whereas we were former, formerly enemies, as it says in Romans 8, we have peace with God through Christ. So in uh, Romans 8, uh, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And a good way, I think, to sum all of these things up is in Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously gives us all give us all things? And he follows that up in verse thirty seven. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's what Jesus did for us.
0: Yeah. I- do you have something to add? Do you I, look like, like you want to jump no, in. No,
2: I just, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you thinking, and I think it's important to say that those things that are given and secured in Christ are never taken away. When we are, when our sin was atoned for, Christ said, It is finished, that was done. And when we are justified, when we are being sanctified, but those things, I mean, it tells us in John, those whom the Father has given me nothing can take away when we are in his hand that is a place of security and a place we can rest and i think knowing that's so important um in the whole doctrine of salvation if you will and in those terms you've just walked through and with what christ did for us
3: yeah and in romans romans 8 again who can separate us from the love of god yeah and then it goes on to this long list yeah so the answer is nothing
2: and that's why you said there is no condemnation, and there will not be condemnation. That's a settled thing.
1: Yeah, as we are in Advent season, I just couldn't help but as you were going through that, just think, that's why we get so excited. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God is in the manger. And yes, God was in the manger and then that God died on the cross and resurrected to do all those things that you just said. So that's that's why this Advent season is just so special and so wonderful and just awe-inspiring because the God of the universe condescended to come to earth to... Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves.
3: Indeed, indeed. You know, and and the hymns that we sing during this time of the year just confirm that over and over. And one of the great things about Christmas time are the hymns of the church for Christmas.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where we always want to land, right? Is with worship yes. and with doxology. Mm-hmm. And so
3: you're not going to ask us to sing. I'm that. not.
0: Uh, I'm always so tempted and I know you're always afraid, but no, I I mean, I just think we talk about all of these words. I feel like we say this every time, but we talk about all these words and we think about it and we want to think deeply and we want to be able to intellectually wrap our minds around some of these things. Um, But at the end of the day, it's about our hearts changing and it's about worshiping and bringing glory to God. Mm -hmm. So that's where we want to end when we're thinking about Advent and, The hymns and the carols that we sing, that's... Or even the Chalcedonian
1: Council. (laughs)
3: You mean the (laughs) Chalcedonian? No, no.
0: no.
2: Oh, you went there. (laughs)
0: Well, can I just say one last... Mm -hmm.
2: And I I probably am going to botch it because I don't have it in front of me. But I remember when I closed out teaching on Christology that I I used a quote, and um, it came from The Last Battle, Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. And um, I believe it was Queen Lucy that said, you know... There was a time in our world too where a stable held someone that was bigger than our whole world. Mm. And that's the incarnation that's who Christ is.
3: True. Amen. That's wonderful. Thank it you. is a wonderful.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Um, but we did want to say if you, you know, are listening and you're thinking, I I don't know that I understand what it is to be born again or to um, receive this this payment um, for my sin, and I haven't received Christ's righteousness. If you're not sure about that, um, we invite you to go to our church website. We have a lot of great resources, sermons. Um, Manual Bible Church. Yes, ibc.church, ibc.church. Um And just check it out, because we our goal ultimate goal is that you would have a saving relationship with jesus christ and so um yeah emmanuel bible church in springfield virginia ibc.church is where you can find us so thanks for listening and in our next episode we're going to be talking about pneumatology
1: which is the doctrine of the holy spirit so thanks for listening the Theology Matters course and podcast are projects of the women's ministry at Emmanuel Bible Church in Springfield, Virginia. Please subscribe to Theology Matters wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, please visit ibc.church and find the Women's Ministry page. We pray you will continue to study and understand the truth of God's Word every day and see just how much theology matters in every aspect of our lives.